section, but we're going to actually be looking today at verses 1 through 32. Uh, probably, we're going to read it throughout our time of conversation here. So um, we're not going to read the whole text at the very beginning, but we're going to look at it. So as always, I encourage you, if you have a Bible, keep it open so you can follow along with us. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the beginning part of this. This is John chapter 18. This is God's word to us this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Once we were your enemies, and now you invite us to be seated at your table. Lord, this is... Uh, profound reality that we want to encounter this morning. As we listen to your word, as we think on it, as we talk about it, as we meditate, we ask that your spirit would be the one that would open up our eyes and to help us to see both sides of this reality that we were your enemies and that now we get to sit at your table. May this impact us and transform us and make us more and more the people who you have designed us to be. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would see you and that you would reveal to us the glory of your Father by the power of your Spirit. We ask in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're moving towards the cross. Jesus, we looked at the last several weeks of his last conversation with his guys in the upper room and then uh, the prayer last week in chapter 17, John chapter 17. So um, the events that John is now going to describe are important because they happened. Like we're reading an historic, historic account. And at the same time, John is recounting them 
um, not just to give us a history report. He's not simply restating to us facts that happened that is true, but he's also revealing to us the significance of that history. That's why he's actually telling us the particular things that he's going to tell us. Um, This helps us to see who we are as a human race, and it also helps us to see, probably more importantly, who God is and why we can do what John said he's writing this book for, which we'll get to at the very end, that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. So everything John's doing is has that focus in mind. So much of what we've seen so far with Jesus has been very positive. We've seen some really cool things that he's been doing, powerful things, right? Power and authority over um, nature, over sin, over death, over the things of life that typically we don't think about as having power over, even the unseen world, uh, his ability to do good. We've seen all this. Now, as we're stepping into these next few chapters, some really bad stuff is about to go down. So darkness is going to seemingly overtake Jesus, and it's, it's going to look like it's going to s- destroy his mission for why he came. So as Jesus and John writing on his behalf walk us down this road, he wants us to realize and to see this big idea. Uh, God works his good purpose even through a world that resists him. I think I have that one for the screen. (laughs) God works his good purpose even through a world that appears to and actually is resisting and rebelling against him. So uh, many ways that we see this throughout Scripture. Like this is one of the major themes actually of the Bible, but how do we see it here? We see it like this. In Jesus, we see Jesus' strange authority, his transparent honesty, and then his ironic purity. So this is a way to kind of walk us through the particular passage, the strange authority. Lots of different ways that Jesus' strange authority is revealed in this text. And we're going to look at we're going to look at like five different aspects, okay? I'll name them really quick, and then we'll, we'll go back through them. So we, we see his authority, authority that moves towards the pitchfork. <laughs> we'll see what that means. Authority shows power. It protects. It confronts. And then it works through corrupt, corrupt intentions, all right? So that's just kind of an outline for where we're heading with this section. When Jesus had finished his conversation with his, with his friends... And his prayer with his father, he went out with his disciples where there was a garden. That's what it says. What happens? Well, other things are going on more than what John describes here. The other gospel accounts also tell. So you can go look at the other gospel accounts and they give you more detail of some of what happens. John fast forwards to the end of his time there. In verse 2, it says that Judas knew the place. Because Jesus often met them there with his disciples. The place where Jesus and his disciples probably had a, they probably had great memories, right? This is a place where they were connecting with each other, where they were being vulnerable, where they were growing together. This is the place Judas knows about, and he takes advantage of that knowledge. He takes advantage of Jesus' vulnerability, He leads a band of soldiers and religious officers who carry lanterns and torches and weapons to this place. This is the scene that is so often in in many stories and movies, right? Right? 
Beauty and the Beast, right? Kill the beast! Everybody, they pick up their lanterns and their weapons and their pitchforks. They pick up their pitchforks and they head out. Kill the beast! This is the scene here. Judas leads them into the sacred meeting space. That's what Judas is doing. Jesus knows what it's like to be violated. He knows what it's like to have a trusted friend betray him. He knows that intimately. But John says in verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? This intrusion is no surprise to Jesus. This is, this is the first part of the strange authority that I want us just to kind of to see and to, and to rest in and, and to contemplate. He knows what is about to happen, and what does he do? He moves towards the pitchfork. That's what he does. And he asks his resistors, whom do you seek? We'll move on. Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And more literally in the Greek, he says, I am. Kind of odd. When Jesus said this, they drew back and they fell down. So what's, what's happening there? Why does that even happen? Well, they're probably freaked out because he's bold. they're coming to get him, right? They would assume that he's running. He's going to run. And instead of running, he approaches them. He comes to them with boldness. So they're probably like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, come on now. Like, they're ready to fight and they all trip over each other, right? That's what's happening here. But this image represents, I think, in that, his authority, His presence and his word carry authority. He also responds with this idea of, I am. Um, Surely, when John says this, and even when Jesus says it, he knows that, that our minds are supposed to be triggered back to God's name being I am. And that's another conversation, but that's how God identifies himself as Yahweh. He is I am. Jesus is linking back to that. All right, is this a reference maybe to all of this, a reference to the fact that he is identifying himself with the, the authority of the I am? This authority is powerful, is the point. We need to see this. Maybe it's linking even back to what we will, well, what we will ultimately see when, like, uh, Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Like, you're seeing that literally happen in front of Jesus as people are falling down before him. All right, so then moving on, rather than using their vulnerable position to attack, he simply asks them, who do you seek? Like, he doesn't take advantage of, they're down, let's go after him. He says, whom do you seek? And after they respond, Jesus followed up with, I told you, I'm, I'm he, so if you, if you seek me, let these men go. This, will, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. He said that back in chapter 17. Jesus sees his protection of his disciples as part of his responsibility, as part of his mission. It's, it's his purpose that he is here to fulfill, to protect these. This is insight into his strange authority. He, he told his arresting officers to let his disciples go, and he used his, his authority to protect those who were trusting him to serve others. That's how he uses his authority, how to protect others. And then verse 10, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it 
cut the high priest's servant's ear off, Jesus said to him, look, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the, the cup that the Father has given to me? Now, Peter tries to, what is he doing? He's exerting power, right? Peter's exerting some sense of authority in order to protect Jesus. And he's doing so through violence. That's what he does. That's how he uses his power. Jesus' response is, put it away. This sounds vaguely, or if not so, vaguely familiar to something else that Jesus said to Peter. This is in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus had told uh, his disciples, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be flogged and crucified and die, and I'm going to rise. And Peter's response to him was, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's not how this thing needs to unfold. And Jesus' response, therefore, to Peter was, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God. Doesn't this sound very much familiar, very familiar to what he has already said? Get behind me, Satan. Put away your sword, Peter. His friend was just trying to help. Right? Peter's just trying to help him. But Jesus says, this is not my way. I know it does not look like it, but I'm actually in control. And the way that you use power is not the way I use power. Jesus' authority confronts Peter's violence. That's how Jesus uses his authority. He confronts violence. So then verse 12 Soldiers in a fit, and this is the part I don't think that we actually read. So the soldiers and the officers arrest Jesus. They lead him to Annas. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time. We're not going to go into the details of that. How are you having two high priests? Well, this is the older high priest. He'd been the high priest before. It's part of the family. So he would have still been considered by the Jewish folks at that time a high priest. Okay, There's a history behind that. We won't get into it. John reminds us that this Caiaphas is the one who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. That was back in chapter 11. So we looked at that already. These resistors, these haters of Jesus, were working out a plan of God without even knowing it. Jesus' authority works through bad intentions. I mean, that's something to take home. Jesus' authority actually works through bad intentions. This is a strange power. And it's a strange use of your power. His authority is absolutely clear. To to Jesus, it's absolutely clear. To John, who's writing it, it's absolutely clear. But it's odd. It is definitely odd. And it continues to be seen as we move through the rest of this passage. Um, It's going to be worked out for God's purpose in the rest of the text. But we want to move on as we look into the rest of the text to look at a different aspect Okay, because we see God's purpose also being worked out through transparent honesty. This is 15 through 27. So in 15, uh, the next scene goes back and forth between Peter's interaction with his accusers and Jesus' interaction with his accuser, his accusers. It's back and forth. So first, we're going to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. Peter's, first, first he's, um, he inter, enters, interacts with the servant girl. This is in verse 17. You aren't, you aren't also one of the man's disciples, are you? This little girl, this, this little girl 
shows up and says that to Peter. And Peter's like, no, 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 I'm, that's, that's not, you, you misunderstand it. I'm not, that, I'm not that man. Then Jesus has this interrogation that um, we're going to jump back to in a minute. And then following that in verse 25, as he stands by the fire warming himself, he gets questioned at least two more times, if not more times than that. Each time Peter denied. What does he deny? He denies, he actually denies who he is. Peter's actually denying himself, and he's denying his association with Jesus. Then the rooster crows, and all this is what Jesus said was going to happen. That was back in chapter 13, Jesus said this. So two things to note. As awful as this is, it's not outside of God's good purpose. I mean, this is bad, right? It's bad. Let's Let's don't pretend like it's not bad. It's a bad thing. But it's not outside of God's good purpose. Peter's failure did not derail Jesus or come as a surprise to Jesus. It's not like, just, oh, shoot, what am I going to do now? <laughs> My best friend betrayed me. I mean, that's not, that's not the attitude at all. Jesus knew this was going to happen. But then secondly, it reveals Peter's way was to hide himself and what he believed. Peter's way was to hide himself. Those interactions stand in stark contrast. Jesus intera- I mean, Peter's interaction with his accusers stands in stark contrast to Jesus' interaction with his accusers, 19 through 24. Now, as Jesus is with Ananias, Annas, one of the high priests, he is questioned about his disciples and his teaching. That's what they're questioning about. He's questioning him up. They're questioning about his disi- the disciples and what he's been teaching. And remember. When Peter is questioned about Jesus, Peter denies to protect himself. When Jesus is questioned about his disciples, he is transparently honest in a way that protects his disciples. There's a contrast that John is trying to get us to see. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught where people can hear me. Uh, Not in secret. I haven't been teaching in order to raise up an insurrection. You don't have to believe me. Just go ask those who have heard me. They know what I have said privately and publicly. I and my teaching have been the same. It's been the same if you've you've been with me in private or you've been with me publicly. What do we take away from this? God's good purpose is lived out in transparent honesty. Man, this has ripple effects into all kind of areas of our life, right? Transparent honesty. That does not mean that he is easy to understand. It doesn't mean that he is easy to comprehend. Or that his plan is not difficult for us to see in our moments in life. But he in his way is not a hidden secret for a select few. This is very different than many of the other world belief systems. It is for all men. It's open to all men and women. After saying this, verse 22, one of the officers slaps Jesus saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus Jesus doubles down at this point. If, If what I've said is wrong, bring a witness. What is Jesus doing there? He's asking them to use the very legal system that they have instituted. He's, at, he's inviting them to go through their own legal process and to be 
honestly transparent themselves. He's inviting them to do that, which they are not doing. They're trying to cover it, to make it look like what they want it to look like. And Jesus is saying, Bring, let's, go, let's do this. If you want to do this, let's do this. He goes on, if what I've said is true, why are you beating me? His honesty is very direct. Man, this gets Jesus in a lot of trouble. It gets Jesus in trouble, I think, with us sometimes. He is honestly direct, which is not always a comfortable thing. This is the way God works out his purpose, though. This is how he does it, which means Jesus could be known and seen and heard and tested that, at that point. It's not blind faith. Jesus never invites people into blind faith, then or now. He, we, we are still invited to see and to hear and to test him in that sense. Who is he? What is he really saying? His way stands in stark contrast to Peter's way. Peter's way is using brute force to exert authority, right? And Peter's way is deny himself and his relationship with Jesus to preserve himself. That's Peter's way. Jesus has a strange authority. And it is transparently honest. Okay? This all leads to this last section of 28 through 32. So as the night goes on, Jesus is bouncing around from place to place. So in other, other gospel accounts tell more of what some of those interactions are. And Peter uh, gives a, a simplified version of some of that. So at some point in the early morning of the next day, he lands at, this is verse 28, the governor's headquarters. This is where we are introduced to Pilate. Here's where Pilate comes on the scene. And we'll look at him over the next uh, couple of weeks with the next chapter and a half. Um, so many things John is doing in this account. But as we listen to it, I want to, because we can't do it all, let's zero in on one aspect, okay? So listen to this and tell me what stands out to you. Maybe I'll ask you, or maybe I'm going to tell you what stands out to me. Listen to this. So 28, the religious leaders themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. We're not going to go in there because we're not going to be defiled. So, so Pilate w went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to them, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. All right. L look at what they do. Right? Listen to, to how they're responding. They're not going to go into the house of an, of an unclean Gentile so that they can remain pure at the Passover. Okay? I mean, does that strike us as just a little bit odd? A little bit? They're, like they're abiding by the law? The law says don't do this. Okay, let's obey the law. Instead, Pilate goes out to them. When Pilate asked them, what is this all about? They said, since we are bringing this man to you, clearly he is bad. Okay, I mean, what else do you need? Our judgment is righteous. Why would you question us, you dirty Gentile? They weren't looking for Pilate to give an input on the situation or to help with the judgment. When Pilate says, you go judge him by your own laws. I don't want to mess with this. I don't, I don't want to do this. They respond, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Here's the 
a thing that has been kind of standing out to me as I'm reading through this. Um, how ironically blind they were to their self-righteousness. Right? How ironically blind am I to my self-righteousness? There's a direct correlation. Uh, they say, look, we want to stand clean by not going into an unclean house. We, we have clearly judged justly. We are people of law and order, not lawbreakers. This drips with this sad irony as they judge Jesus who is actually pure. Think about it. Like in hindsight, we can see it. Obviously, it's harder for them to see in the moment. I think often it's hard for us to see how we're doing the same thing in our moments. The one they believe is the lawbreaker and the one they judged not just as unclean, they've actually judged him as cursed by God. That's in part why they don't want him, why they want him executed by the Romans, because they don't want to get their own hands dirty, right? They want someone else to do their dirty work. But it's also, they know that execution by the Romans is going to be done how? It's going to be done on a cross, right? That actually has significance. Why? Because of Deuteronomy 21. And we all know what Deuteronomy 21 says, right? Of course not. So this is something that would have been a common knowledge to them. Deuteronomy 21 says this. A hanged man is cursed by God. Mm. They see Jesus as a cursed man, and they want to make sure the world knows he's a cursed man. Let's don't kill him ourselves. Let's have someone else do our dirty work, and let's make sure he's hung. Show the world he's cursed. And yet Jesus is the only ironically pure one, takes their curse and their judgment of him being guilty and impure. He takes it. It's going to be their resistance. It's their rejection. It's their handing him over to the Romans that God works out his purpose what? <laughs> their self-proclaimed innocence reveals their guilt. Their accusation of Jesus' guilt will reveal his actual innocence, his purity. He runs straight through the world's resistance. He runs the gauntlet. He runs straight through the world's resistance to accomplish his purpose, to rescue to bring good to the very people who resist him. To bring good to his rejectors. That's the kind of authority that he exercises. That is the kind of king that he offers himself to us as. What does that do to us? What does that do for us? How does this change us? Father, there is so much to what you reveal about yourself through your Son that we're just scraping the surface of as we're walking this road to the cross and as we're listening to how you work out your good purpose 
through a world that resists you, through a world that hates you. It's through that that you actually accomplish your purpose. Jesus, you have a strange authority. You are transparently honest in ways that make us horribly uncomfortable. And yet you are indeed the pure one, the truly pure one, who lays down his life for his enemies. Lord, cause this to sink into us, provoke us to worship, and even as the soldiers fell down before your feet out of fear, may we fall down at your feet out of adoration and love because you are so lovely. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.